Hi, Vincent. I'm getting dressed. Come inside and pour yourself a drink. Mia. In the 1994 movie Pulp Fiction, John Travolta reads these words. They were written by the Uma Therma character on a post-it. And he pulls the post-it off the door and enters the house. When he enters the house, the song Son of a Preacher Man begins playing. The Dusty Springfield version. But did you know that there was another version of the song? Yes, Aretha Franklin recorded Son of a Preacher Man. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. This is Stephen Thompson and this is my experience. Son of a Preacher Man is a song written and composed by John Hurley and Ronnie Wilkins and it was recorded first by Dusty Springfield in September of 1968 for the album Dusty in Memphis. But in 1967, while working at Muscle Shores in Alabama, John Hurley and Ron Wilkins were working with Aretha Franklin. And Jerry Wexler asked them at the time to write a song for Aretha. Now they remembered that Aretha's father was a preacher, so they decided, hey, let's write Son of a Preacher Man. And Wexler liked the song, and he recorded it with Aretha, but he decided that that didn't fix fit with her style and the other songs that were on her album. So he gave it to Dusty Springfield for Dusty in Memphis. Then later, the song was recorded by Aretha's older sister, Irma. And Irma included it on her 1969 album, Brunswick Soul Sister. Now, when Aretha heard the Dusty Springfield, she remembered that she had did that song and she decided, well, let's reconsider. So she released the song herself on her 1970 album, This Girl's In Love With You. Now the song didn't go that high on the charts. It was a less popular, it was on the B-side of her single, Call Me. So Son of a Preacher Man, what are we gonna talk about today is this. I wanna look at four things. One, who are you giving credit to in your leadership? And two, who is behind the scenes that deserves recognition? And three, people behind the scenes, they're contributing to your organization. And four, let's go back and recover something you, have, you may have missed that still has value that you can possibly still use. I want to talk about phenomenal women this month. I'm talking about phenomenal women this month on the Stephen Thompson Experience. I want to talk about Harriet Powers today. Harriet Powers was born, depending on the account that you see, in October of 1837 or 1839, different sources say different things, but she was born into slavery near Athens in Georgia. One of the great things about Harriet Powers is that she was one of the best known Southern African-American quilt makers. Now only two of her quilts survived today. She made both of those quilts after the Civil War. One quilt is in the National Museum of American History collection at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. The second quilt that survived is at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Her quilts depict biblical scenes and they're made in pictorial squares and they were constructed through the applique and piecework technique and they were hand and machine stitched. That's what we know about those two quilts. Now an interesting story is that Powers was at a fair in 1886, a cotton fair, and she was displaying her quilts, similar to like an art fair that you may see today. There were artists at the fair, they were displaying their goods and their wares, and they were selling them in order to support themselves. 
and there was a teacher named Jenny Smith. Jenny Smith was an art teacher at the Lucy Cobb Institute. The Lucy Cobb Institute was a elite school for women in Athens. And she saw Powers' quilts, and she wanted to purchase one. For whatever reason, I'm not sure why Harriet Powers declined to sell it at the time, but she didn't sell it at the time. But Smith remained in contact with Powers throughout the years. Five years later, Harriet Powers was having financial difficulty, and she sold that quilt for $5. $5 she sold that quilt. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the Lucy Cobb Institute was founded in 1859 by Thomas Cobb. And Thomas Cobb founded the Lucy Cobb Institute for young women in Georgia, he had a rigorous academic curriculum for elite wealthy women. Thomas Cobb was also a pro-slavery writer. Imagine that. A school founded by a pro-slavery author and a teacher at that school wanting to purchase art made by a slave. So much so that they kept in contact with that freed slave at the time of emancipation for years to try to buy that artwork. It's amazing, isn't it? You have people who are able to create things of lasting value. Lasting value. You see, Lucy Cobb, no, not Lucy Cobb, I'm sorry. Harriet Powers. Quilt made in the 1800s in museums in the United States today. The National Museum of American History. There's a quilt made by a woman born into slavery that is displayed there today. If only, if only, if only Harriet Powers could have lived to see that. If Harriet Powers lived in a world where her work would have been valued and honored and put into a museum, then... I'm not sure what she would have thought, but it's amazing to see that today, a woman born in a slave, born a slave, a woman who faced opposition, a woman who was self-taught. You know, when they studied Harriet Powers' craft, they discovered that she had very advanced craft, like technique, and how she made her quilts. She didn't learn it in a school. Because they wouldn't let her in a school. I mean, in fact, if you taught a slave to read, you could be executed. You could be killed. It was against the law. People taught slaves to read or at the risk of their lives. Think about that. Amazing, honorable women. How does this fit into our song? Listen to this. Billy Ray was a preacher's son, and when his daddy would visit, he'd come along. When they gathered around and started talking, that's when Billy would take me walking. Out through the backyard, we'd go walking. Then he'd look into my eyes. Lord knows to my surprise. The only one who could ever reach me 
was the son of a preacher man. The only boy who could ever teach me was the son of the preacher man. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And my question and my challenge is, are you reaching people in your organization? Are you attempting to connect with people in your organization? Because everyone who comes to work for you or everyone who comes into your organization or who lands in your sphere of influence, those people are born with gifts and talents that were given to them by the creator of the universe. Nobody shows up talentless. Nobody shows up with no abilities. Guess what? They have talent and abilities. They don't need to be fixed by you. They need to be guided by you. And everybody has value. Everyone has value. So who are you giving credit to? Who are you reaching? Who are you reaching in your organization? You want to be like the son of the preacher man in this song. You want to encourage people and you want to guide people and you want to help people and you want to give them credit for the hard work that they do every single day. Think about this. And you see this in organizations all the time where you find somebody that for some reason, shape or form, you might say they don't fit. Well, why don't they fit? Is it because you have a spreadsheet and that spreadsheet is spitting out algorithms that determine what a person can do and can't do? Well, let me tell you something. Algorithms can be wrong. They're not people. I mean, look at Harriet Powers. But let me tell you something this. Let's, let me explain this real quick. Imagine if you're walking down the street and a $100 bill falls on the ground and you pick up that $100 bill, it's dirty, and you throw that $100 bill in the trash because you think that $100 bill is dirty. Well, guess what? Who's wrong in that situation? Yeah, you may be right that the $100 bill is dirty, but I bet you somebody else is going to go into the trash, pick that $100 bill up, take that $100 bill out, and go use it to exchange goods and services. Why? Because the $100 bill does not decrease in value because of your perception that you think that it's dirty. Your perception is not reality. When I hear people say perception is a reality, they're absolutely wrong. How is it wrong? The perception is, number one, that the dollar bill is dirty. The $100 bill is dirty. That's my perception. But guess what? The $100 bill still has value. So you can take that $100 bill to the store and you can buy goods and services with it. If your, if your perception is reality, quote, which I think is absolutely ridiculous, if your, quote, perception is reality was accurate, if you took that $100 bill to the store and it was dirty, somebody would say, oh, this $100 bill can't be exchanged for goods and services. But nobody, no merchant would turn down a $100 bill. They would dust it off, they would clean it off, and they would use that $100 bill. You are wrong for saying perception is reality. I am sorry for having to say that, but people have value. And if you can't see the value that people have, then you don't need to be a leader. And I think if I ever get to the point where I am a leader in an organization where I don't see the value and I don't figure how to figure out how to use that value and guide that value, then I don't need to be in a position of leadership. I don't need to be around people because I could damage them if my thinking shifts to the point where I don't see the value of somebody's contribution. And we always have to be thinking about that. If you simply allow people to use their talents and their gifts and their abilities, they will surprise you with greatness. And it won't really be a surprise because they have gifts. We see Harriet Powers, what she did. No encouragement. Born a slave. 
Everything was against her. But her, her quilts are in two museums today. The Lucy Cobb Institute is gone. That school does not exist. It was closed in the mid-1900s. They ran out of money and they had to close. Imagine that. A school built by the rich, for the rich, somehow runs out of money. How does that happen? I have no idea. But maybe there's something else there. That if you grow your organization with a principle of denying opportunity, with the principle of thinking that you're better just because you're better because of what? You couldn't have been better financially because if you were, you wouldn't have shut down. So we disqualify that. You don't have artwork in museums, so you're disqualified on that level. So when we look at the data, if you found your organization based upon exploitation, based upon elitism, you will fail eventually. That's the wonder of time. The universe sets everything straight over time. Harriet Powers, her quilts are in museums today. Somebody found that they had value. Be that person who values other people. This is Stephen Thompson, and this is my experience.